This episode's readings carry content warnings for descriptions of viscera, possession, and transformation, and for sexual themes. If you'd like to skip them, the two readings on this episode are from 3 minutes and 50 seconds to 8 minutes and 5 seconds, and then again from 15 minutes and 15 seconds to 19 minutes and 31 seconds. Also, this episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Tales from the Trunk, reading the stories that did make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisnyaks. Listeners, I'm beyond pleased to welcome an author, an essayist, uh, probably one of Twitter's best-kept secrets in terms of just delightful human beings, Hector Gonzalez. Hector, welcome to the show! Hilary, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me over. I am so happy to be here. Absolutely. We joke that you're the SFF uh, ASMR guy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I always look forward to when you pop in with a voice recording of something on the Slack that we're both on. Uh, so it's just an absolute delight to have you here. Well, it's my honor to be here, and thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very happy to just chat with you, have a conversation face-to-face, uh, even virtually, but Absolutely. more than anything, just having a chat, share about the stories, and, well, enjoy yeah. the time. <laughs> uh, so we we have a bit of a treat this time around, uh, it being the spooky season, Uh Hector, you're bringing two stories from the most recent issue of the zine Void Junk from Neon Hemlock, uh, which is a zine that is near and dear to both of our hearts. (laughs) I do. Is there anything that we need to know about either of these stories before we get into them? Well, I want to start with the one that is a little bit more on the spookier side. Fantastic. uh, In this case... It was a call by one of the editors. They were just collecting pieces. And at this point, uh, they approached me and said, hey, would you like to, to do a, a short story? And I said, let me think about it. Let me, let me digest it. Mm-hmm. And that helped me just come up with an idea, something simple, something straightforward. But at the same time, it's inspired by those old uh, Reader's Digest stories that was oh i am uh, david's stomach i am mm-hmm. john's lungs and giving a little bit more of a point of view of how an organ sees you from the inside this is a little bit inspired by that fantastic well ready when you are okay let me just get my reading boys ready <laughs> family by Hector Gonzalez. I am Joe's dirty secret that's eating him alive. (laughs) This is Joe. 
His friend Monroe invited him over to talk. He seemed serious over the phone. Joe knows a little about me, but not the full gargantuan details. <laughs> Monroe opens the door and invites Joe over. Monroe knows about me. He was there, but kept, kept his mouth shut. <laughs> Joe comes into the darkened room. He walks a few steps and the lights hit him. Happy birthday! People, all men, raise their arms, cheering. They all know about me, in some sense or another. A few were there, others felt the effects from me. Only one of them guessed once about it without the group of friends, but no one said anything. Hmm. I swim inside Robert, full of excitement. This is a puzzle party in some ways. Each one of them had a piece of me inside their ugly guts. No one here is innocent. Complicit. Someone points out how Joe looks tired. One of them suggests a hangover from partying too hard. <laughs> it isn't that. I have been eating his organs one by one, like a tender buffet of delicacies, all mm. for me. Robert says something about possible indigestion. He suspects nothing. There is only a few things left inside. Not to regret. Something more circular. They all raise their glasses, and each says something about my father. Each speech has some shades of me, and what Robert did. It is not subtle. All of these men, uncles in some way, know about me and protected me, letting me grow strong. Hmm. This is my family. I am ready to meet them. It is my, sorry, Joe's turn. His words mean nothing. Latitudes. Just filling the space as the silence is unbearable. Not because of guilt. He has none. It's my time. Hmm. I take command of his arm first. He looks at it, surprised. No one at the party seems to notice. I crawl my way to the throat and wait for my cue. My hand reaches inside the mouth and violently rips the tongue out. Robert doesn't squeal. I don't give him that pleasure. Hmm. His eyes are wide open. I want him to watch. The other guests look in disgust. All in front of me. Perfect. Out of each of them, the tiny pieces of me come out from their mouths, their nostrils, ears, the sphincters. They scream, and I just smile. <laughs> each piece extends a tendril straight to me inside Robert's mouth. My uncles, one by one, fall to the floor. Their bodies help me grow strong. Their silence made me powerful. Just joys in the floor. At one point, unhinged during my feeding. It is almost comical listening to a song titled, What You Do To Me, 
in these in his last moments. The happiest birthday to me. <laughs> oh, I I just love how ghoulish that is. I don't know. I thought I one of the things that happens to me, I sometimes try to write assholes and they don't work so well to me. I mm-hmm. kind of have a, a little bit of problem to just make them convey them as it is. It's but in this case, I decided, well, what about something that is inside the asshole? And kind of stole that, uh, that first setup because on one of those videos that I managed to find online uh, that was mm-hmm. I am Joe's heart. That's how it starts, that he's coming inside and everybody comes out like, hey, happy birthday. And they're like, yeah. okay, let's do a twist on that. Let's see how, how would that work. And if we think a lot about it, I mean, all our organs are these kind of different kind of tissues that are working together and they all have kind mm-hmm. of their own ecosystem. Didn't we uh, just recently found out that tumors have fungi inside them? You're like, yeah. what? <laughs> it, everything is a community. Exactly. And, and some things are horrifying communities. Exactly. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just a different kind of culture, I guess. But oh my god, that's that's so. It's so weird how we have all these kind of things inside us, mm-hmm. and at the same time, we are so ignorant about the full life of, that lives inside us. I mean, that's a little bit the story. The the story behind this. Yeah, I like. I love horror and horror adjacent things Mm -hmm. and uh there's there's something so just deeply satisfying about work that is unapologetically visceral in that way Mm -hmm. that like you know it it's I don't really know how to describe it, but like the the work that has been in Void Junk in general just like gets that so much. And uh, I think we've talked briefly when uh, Dave Ring was on the show a while ago about Void Junk, but uh, for listeners who might not have caught that episode, can you give a little pitch about Void Junk from your perspective as a, a multiple time contributor? It's mostly the easiest way is monster fuckers be, uh, join us. And yeah. it involves, besides uh, stories that can be sexy, stories that can be interesting, it's in general just the void and how it touches different kind of things about it could be scary, it could be funny, it could be touching. It could be it just... It could be all of those. All of that. And I mean... If everything, everywhere, all at once taught us something, it's that the void, it could be multiple things and it can have different meanings for multiple people. It's it's very variable and we all can have a different kind of understanding of it. And I mm-hmm. think that it celebrates those understandings. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also just like, um, you know, uh, Neon Hemlock does just beautiful production values on mm-hmm. 
everything, but especially their uh, their physical media and void junk is just like the epitome of that it's a beautiful little perfect bound square zine Mm -hmm. uh every time i've gotten void junk i've gotten a sticker or something else in the mail with it uh and you know it is it's it's this queer little project that we all love Mm -hmm. um i mean i i love dave i mean the kind of dedication that they put into the production, and more importantly, it's 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 Dave's baby. And mm-hmm. I respect that a lot. And anytime that I have the chance to contribute something, or just I have the the tinge on my brain of hmm, this could be interesting. Would they be interested? Oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's great. We love. And support Neon Hemlock along every axis. But, like, I think in a lot of ways, Void Junk is, like, one of the purest distillations of, like, nobody else is going to do this. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get it with just so much love behind it. Exactly. And that's the best part. It's, It's a labor of love mostly and it's not only from the contributors but the editors and publisher mm-hmm. and they know that it is queer unapologetically unapologetically uh, unapologetically queer mm-hmm. <laughs> and more than anything just hey enjoy these stories yeah don't ask don't ask questions <laughs> yeah <laughs> the fewer questions the better probably exactly other than has this unlocked something within me? Yeah, I, I can I can imagine some people will be like, hmm, well, I think I'm not vanilla anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we don't have just one piece out of this issue of Void Junk. We actually have two. Uh, do you want to introduce your AITA out of this issue as well? So in Boy Jung, there are different kind of sections. And at one moment, I thought, okay, why not making an, a, a mighty asshole where the, jung, the, where the void is asking that, that community on Reddit, okay, did I do something wrong? Did I fuck <laughs> it up? Or maybe not. Who knows? And to me, it's the, the interesting part about what's the true nature of the void how it it has different kind of roles um depending on the people so mm-hmm. this is a little bit more on the sweeter side sweet sweet and bittersweet we'll see fantastic <laughs> well <clears throat> let's get that voice ready <laughs> hmm. am i the asshole for not mentioning to the love of my life 29 male that i am Infinity, non-binary, just a void in a trench coat. (laughs) By user, throw away void. I met the guy, let's call him Ben, of my life while going out to eat tacos on a rainy day. Our orders got mixed and had a real life meet here. The rain calmed down, and we went to the park and talked about life. Mm-hmm. 
I never thought I would meet someone like him. Dennis is smart, cute, and very kind. <laughs> he works for a bank and he's terribly stressed. Ben tells me often about the issues he experiences there, how his boss ignores his suggestions, or how other departments just dump work on his, on his desk. Ben tells me I'm a good listener and how he feels his problems seem to disappear when he shares how he feels. I am seriously in love with Ben, but I never tell him my true feelings. Mm. Should I tell him I am just a boy in a trench coat? Update. A lot of you ask me how I know I fell in love. I just can't stop thinking about Ben. Some of you even ask if I have ever fallen in love before, and I don't recall ever feeling this way. The vast majority recommend coming clean first about my feelings for him. Update two. We met at the park and we had a good stroll. I open up and tell him how I felt for him. Ben just smiled at me and said he had feelings for me too. Hmm. Ben is coming over to my place tomorrow for dinner and a movie. I'm planning on telling him also that I'm a boy in a trench coat. <laughs> Update three. Things feel hazy, and forgive me if all sounds jumbled. Then came to my place. I had, I cleaned for, I cleaned for him. <laughs> I heard a knock. Uh, I opened the door, and it was him. The first thing he did was put a kiss on me. The warmth I felt was intoxicating. I put my arms around Ben and felt comets dancing inside me. I closed the door and we moved to my couch while he kept making out. He took his jacket off in an instant and asked me to remove my trench coat. <laughs> Are you feeling shy? Ben said with a wry smile. It was time to be fooling myself with him. I rubbed my trench coat and he saw me as the boy that I am. An absence of everything and a conglomeration of nothing. Ben didn't hesitate. He came to me with the same comfort I, I felt before. It was like a star was near me. Hmm. You are my safe space, Ben said, while burrowing himself inside me, helping me forget my troubles. I was feeling ecstatic. We were together and he accepted me for what I was. His affection coming into me tenderly like a star, slowly delving into my being, soothing, comforting, falling for me, melting. I don't remember what I was writing anymore. Hmm. I love that. I feel like the having both of these stories is like, you get everything you need to know about Void Junk out of these two. Like, we've got the visceral horror on one end, and on the other hand, at a birthday party, and 
at the other end, we have uh, Reddit send up about a sexy void in a trench coat. <laughs> and both of which, you know, obviously both from the same author, which is just a joy in itself, but then uh, both of them approached with the same amount of uh, real care and sincerity. And like that, that's what Void Junk is. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's, as I said, it's a labor of love for everyone that is involved. And it's just playing with the genre, the ideas, the, hmm, why, what if, and go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every, I think so far every issue has been edited by a different team. Mm-hmm. Um, there's... Spoiler alert, there is an upcoming issue uh, sometime in the spring that uh, I'm going to be editing with friend of the show, Sarah Locke, uh, which I know we've had discussions about already. Uh, <laughs> the subtitle of that issue is Cuddling the Void, so if you want just, like, tooth-rotting, uh, unimaginable fluff, that's going to be it. Um... But yeah, it's 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 just a really special project, mm-hmm. uh, and I was I was really excited uh, to to take a little peek behind the curtain for uh, listeners. When I invite somebody on the show, I send them out a questionnaire uh, to ask, like, okay, so what are you going to be reading this time? And when I opened this up and saw that you were going to be reading from Void Junk, I was just like ecstatic. Thank you. So, you've written in, obviously, in the Void Junk spaces. Mm -hmm. Uh, You recently had a really touching essay over at Uncanny, the title of which is escaping me right now. Um, I have it over here on my link tree, and... Let's see... It's Gracias Orlando, a general film and a queer body awakening. Yeah, I I was like, I know it's Gracias somebody, <laughs> and like, I just ate it up the moment it came out. Uh, I'm wondering uh, if you can talk a little bit about um, about your journey as a writer um and like especially as being uh somebody who is bilingual writing in your second language and uh approaching approaching really personal topics a lot of the time so i mean to no surprise i was a kid that devoured any any forms of imagination that that I was fed at, at a young age. I mm-hmm. funny enough because I'm named after a Trojan hero, a tragic Trojan hero if we want to go with that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that some some neighbors gave gifted me was books about Greek stories. Uh, Imagine that you give that to a seven-year-old to mm-hmm. say, hey, so here are some things that you can read. And some of those, it's like, well, 
your namesake got dragged <laughs> by horses because, thanks to Achilles because you killed his best friend. So hooray. Also, yep. what an what an unequal fight. You're fighting a demigod, and yeah, that's not a great yeah. <laughs> not a great matchup. Whoever arranged that wars, anyways. So I read a lot of that. I also loved the comics growing up. Mm -hmm. I had the in Mexico, lots of the comics got translated, and sometimes I managed to get mostly semi-accurate translations from Spider-Man, El Hombre mm -hmm. Araña named there, Batman and Superman kept their names, but the names got switched and everything. Translations were a weird thing, but I kept this love, uh, this deep love for stories and mm -hmm. continued growing up. And when I found out that, that this was in high school, I found out that the high school had a school paper and he said, oh, I want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of people doing, doing comics inside, just doing them. And they have different kind of projects. It was more like a parody. The, the school was called uh, Colegio Indoamericano, mm -hmm. the Indo-American College. And then the name of the parody, it was Captain Indo-America, Capitan Indo-America. <laughs> so... It was just taking a little bit the the classic formula and doing parody about that. And the author of that comic, it's one of a very prolific and very talented uh, creator that I love his work. And he's one of those persons that I just love seeing him, that he has worked for Marvel. He also does a lot of work on, uh, on Europe. I think he has a webcomic right now. His name is Bachan. That's his... Pen oh, name. Uh -huh. And in general, he's so talented. His influences was John Byrne, also some Frank Miller before he went off the rails, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's it's always it always it's a pleasure for me to see his work out there. I mean, I just love him. But mm -hmm. that kind of thing, I wanted at one moment to be also a comic book artist. And I, I tried. I I mm -hmm. foolishly went into graphic design thinking that they would teach me how to draw. No, oh. that's not how it works. But yep. that was that was a long story. But I continue writing stories, making my own universes of superheroes and all kind of stuff and powers. I most ridiculously I had all computer uh, spreadsheets just mm -hmm. feel with the different kind of characters that names the origins and I it was very cheesy mostly <laughs> because I use all potential very stereotypical I did not know anything about some places so it was it was bad in retrospective but it I've was been there. how I, I started just thinking a lot about stories mm -hmm. and for a long period of time kind of my writing got not exactly frozen but I did not write for for maybe about 15, 15 years, 20. Mm -hmm. When I moved, moved to the United States, I started just writing here and there, mostly small essays. I have a, I used to have a blog on Shanga. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about 
old old platforms. I think the platform is still there. I do not know that if the blog is still there, but yeah, I wrote here and there. And the big comeback was thanks to John Picasso when he was chosen as the guest of honor for Worldcon on San Jose. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, we need to invite more people. Than that. And he did an open call and mentioned, well, I'm, uh, I'm helping four creatives from Mexico or Mexican-Americans that live in the United States to come to the Worldcon. And I didn't see initially his, uh, his tweet. I mm-hmm. saw John Scalzi's tweet about it. And I thought, <laughs> okay, let's, let's see, let's talk. I said, I had this kind of past with sci-fi. I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't re- uh, touched base against with, with it, but I would like to go. And he was very open. He was very cool. We started chatting. And one of the things that he was very impressed uh, to me, I mean, to me, it was groundbreaking because everything that happened on that trip was important for me one way or another. But he mm-hmm. was very impressed that I managed to have the chance to that Alejandro Jodorowsky read the tarot for me. Mm. And he does that on a well, he used to do that on a coffee shop in Paris every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And it's by luck. Usually about 50 people go there. They put their name on the bucket and they somebody somebody gets usually he chooses five people and mm-hmm. everybody's sitting next to him. I managed to sneak a photo of me next to him. That was it. But the reading that I got from him, it was completely a revelation in many cases. And I have to say, lots of things that he said there have impacted me on the long term. Mm-hmm. And that was something that John Picasso was very impressed about. And he said, you know what? I wanted to be one of the first, I wanted to be one of the four persons that will be joining us on this World Cup. And I think it was synergy or whatever you want to call it. A lot of other people said, hey, what about if I donate some more money and we invite not only four, but let's get four more and four more and four more. At the end, they managed to recruit 50 people that wanted to come to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. In the end, not everybody managed to come due to other situations. Some of the Mexican creators, they decided to also do a personal boycott because of what was happening at the border with the uh, the internment camps for all the uh, for mm-hmm. all the immigrants coming from uh, from South America. And that was very valid of them, but still me when I managed to to go and besides I mean things that I did there I managed to serve tacos to a lot of sci-fi big <laughs> big persons George George R. R. Martin mm-hmm. and other creatives I the biggest part it was how I opened my eyes to a lot of things because my taste on sci-fi I initially started reading sci-fi as a way to connect to my dad, that he was a lot into Asimov, into Heinlein, mm-hmm. into C. Clark. And it was a way to have some kind of neutral conversation that wouldn't be too <laughs> too hard to have with my dad at those times. But I had stayed on the past and not only getting to get to know some of these 
uh, Mexican and Mexican-American creators, their work, but also all the other people that are writing such fantastic sci-fi these days that completely uh, opened my eyes. And mm-hmm. every time that I see that there is some new anthologies, some new collections, to me, it's essential just to, oh, I want to know more. I want to see, I want to listen to what they have to say in these stories mm-hmm. and keep going and going and going. And I, in some way, that happened in 2018 when I started just to get constantly into this diet of reading modern sci-fi and fantasy. And little by little, started just feeling comfortable enough in my skin, in my identity, mm-hmm. and in my way to just share stories that would be touching to some people, that could be interesting to them, scary if, if I manage to do it. Mm-hmm. Scary, it's scary, it's hard to do. But more importantly, just writing something that somebody else will say, oh, yeah, I, I can see that. I can I can listen to what you're saying and maybe sometimes identifying. With this yeah. story about Orlando, some people approached me and said, you know, that helped me a little bit to see how other media also helped me come up to in to terms with who I am. But yeah, that's that's a little bit like the long story <laughs> on to how how Hector got back into sci-fi and, and writing. <laughs> I mean, sounds like a great story to me. I'm really uh you know, we didn't know each other then. I'm really sad that we missed each other at that Worldcon. <laughs> But uh, I, so many of my friends now were at that Worldcon, and mm-hmm. I just missed them because we didn't really know each other yet. Or, you know, Worldcon is huge; you're not gonna see everybody. Like, mm-hmm. I definitely saw, I saw George R. R. Martin's hat, and <laughs> like fifty people around him in the con hall at one point, mm-hmm. and I ran into Scalzi just like. I was leaving the dealer's room. He was walking into the dealer's room. I said, holy mm-hmm. shit, you're John Scalzi. And he said, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I mean, with me, I had the chance to thank him because it was during the the loser's ball. The, mm-hmm. uh, the part I managed to find that he was talking to someone and I just approached as polite as possible and said, hey, uh, my name is Hector. I want to thank you because thanks to your tweet, I mean, uh, that's why I'm here. So mm-hmm. I I cannot give you thanks enough for the changes that you have put in motion. And I remember at one moment, somebody in Mexico, uh, he's a food writer mm-hmm. for, uh, for some important publications. And he said, well, I don't see the, the value of Twitter. I, <laughs> it's, not, it's not for me. And I can understand why, but... If at the moment you come up with some approach of vulnerability and at the same time as, let's give it a try. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can lead to lots of wonderful things. Some of the gigs that I have managed to get thanks to uh, thanks to somebody posting on Twitter, hey, we're looking for a narrator that is a Spanish speaker. Mm-hmm. Well, raising hand over here. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It's like I don't know. There there's there's a lot of valid critiques of Twitter. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times where I say, "Oh yeah, it's the hell site. It's terrible over there." Mm-hmm. But like I was just 
reflecting today that like some of my some of my like strongest friendships in science fiction come out of Twitter. Like yeah. uh our our guest who at the time of recording the episode is going up in two days. At the time that this comes out, it will have been two weeks ago. But uh, like Aiden Mower, who uh, is in this timeline coming up in two days on the show, like I don't even know what chain of events led to us knowing each other on Twitter, but like <laughs> he's given me amazing feedback on stories that I've for the most part, not been able to sell. Uh, I was able to give him some really useful feedback that uh, on a couple of his stories. And, like, you know, we've just been friends for, like, seven, eight years now just because Twitter can still be a place where, you know, where writers can connect and, and like, you know, find find each other at just the right time. Mm-hmm. So Leslie, my fiance, one of the things, how they described that one moment Twitter, it was a party where everybody's drunk, mm-hmm. everybody's screaming, <laughs> and at one moment you hear somebody screaming the same thing as you, and you're like, hey, we should be BFFs. Mm-hmm. And that's how it starts. <laughs> that's how it does. I mean, like, that's pretty much how I know... Uh, the Sarahs, Sarah Gailey mm-hmm. and Sarah Hollowell, is like, yeah. we were all shouting about the same things at the same time and then said, hey, let's do a friendship. Yeah. I mean, I think that... I I just love thinking a lot about human relationships and how they occur, how they at one moment can... can we can connect with other people and... Mm-hmm. This is the base of a book that I've been just kind of semi-writing for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the title of the book. It's terrible. But at the same time, I think it's the best one. It's asking for a friend. Mm. Advice on adult friendships. And it's, I love that. And that's okay. What the one thing that you see regularly if you are uh, browsing or going into different kind of subreddits or city pages, they are asking like, "Hey, I want to meet people." Well, mm-hmm. more importantly than anything, it's just having some hobbies, some activities, some things that you enjoy and that you are passionate about, and finding other people that are also passionate about. It could be role playing, it could be painting miniatures, it could be origami, it could be Pokemon Go. Mm-hmm. It could be whatever at one moment makes you happy. And if you find somebody else that also that makes them happy and are honest with each other, that's how friendships friendships start. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I gave the whole uh, the whole sales pitch of the book, but I'm sure that I can extend it for about five <laughs> five or ten chapters. I guess. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. There, I I think that there's a a lot more that. Uh, you can say on that in um because like i don't know my experience is Mm -hmm. i need something explained to me at least 10 different ways before i actually get it i mean if we think a lot about what's the full scope about friendships it's not only about okay we both like the same thing if the whole thing it's about football 
well, it's okay. You can have a football friend and that's fine. You mm -hmm. can have also a pottery friend that it is also fine. And they can meet, they could not meet. And that's okay because it's not uh, exactly that everybody will be fitting all the different uh, check boxes in you. Mm -hmm. And chapter that I have there on this book, it's about how to fight with friends. Mm -hmm. Because that's the important thing that, so many times a fight can be seen like, oh, we are so done and everything. I cannot just do anything. There are ways to, to fight these hard conversations. And yeah, maybe at the moment that's a, a friendship ending conversation. It sucks. But sometimes it can be also helpful to, to know exactly how this friend also has their own boundaries and their own uh, ways to communicate. Mm -hmm. It's all part of the thing. It's relationships. Yeah, we all are different kind of universes, and we sometimes crash into each other. It happens. Yeah, and and you know, in the best case scenarios, like you were saying, it can be really transformative. Mm -hmm. I mean, what happens if I don't know you? This guy. Oh, okay. So this person tell me something that I was very important about him about themselves, and that's something that also need to think about it, how that affects me and how I also see this kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. It's it's different kind of things that it's important to keep in mind. We, I think that bottom line, a lot of us wants to be able to connect with others and feel cared for. Mm -hmm. And if you find ways to open yourself and finding that care, I mean, friendships, relationships, and everything, all of these have different kind of tones, different kind of colors, flavors. Mm -hmm. You decide how you want it, and you find another person that also agrees with the terms, and there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That. Um, so that feels really, um, really compatible with something that you wrote here in uh, our, our show document about... Uh, <laughs> language as a form of technology and i wondered if you could uh, say a little bit more about that so i think one of the, i mean language it's a form of technology that at the same time it's so important but at the same time so ineffective mm -hmm. and i think a lot about let's say the concept of chair both of us know that it is an instrument or for a type of furniture that you use to sit Mm -hmm. But the kind of chair that I picture in my mind palace could be completely different to the one that you had in there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we manage to communicate with each other and try to find out, okay, how is that chair to you? And it's a, a language so ineffective as it is, it creates these kind of words and terms, these abstractions that we try to convey to another person, hoping that they will also include those on their mind palace, on their dictionary. Mm -hmm. And we are exchanging with each other different kind of things. And I, I got to admit, in many cases, when I'm chatting with someone and I do not understand something or I get lost, I, I'm the kind of person that I am sorry. I didn't. Uh, what do you mean by this? I'm mm -hmm. Even if it derails a, bit, a little bit the situation, because I want to understand what what do they mean. I mean, it it may be uh, it may be kind of quaint, but mm -hmm. 
to me, it helps me get a better connection with somebody I'm talking to. And that's one of the most essential technologies that we have. And I say that language, it's so rudimentary and effective because I feel that, uh, well, I think that other species, we're talking about insects, we're talking about animals, we're talking about reptiles. They mm -hmm. have other elements that they use for the communication. And we kind of, maybe we have, uh, we have stopped some of those elements that we had. Some say that we used to, uh, to use our sense of smell a lot more communicated before, but we have kind of castrated that through frag frag uh, to odors, fragrances, deodorants, mm -hmm. just kind of completely cutting ourselves from that that extra element that would be there mm -hmm. and who knows i mean maybe in the future we'll be able to come up with other elements that could help could be helpful with that yeah oh uh so just for clarity my my mind palace has two chairs in it it has a wingback <laughs> overstuffed wingback chair and uh the ikea poang uh, you know the one that's got the bent plywood sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those those are my mind palace chairs. Oh man, my chairs. Uh, unfortunately, my chair it's kind of like a abuelita abuelita uh, 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 chair. It's just mm -hmm. a rocking chair because I do not know why, but I think that's one of the most meaningful inventions that we ever had: rocking chairs or just any kind of rocking instrument. The kind that we just kind of swivel us. I still want to find a bed that does the same thing as a swivel chair that you can set up a some kind of system and it mm -hmm. just slowly rocks you as an adult. If somebody does that, I mean, I'm okay with you still my idea if you give me <laughs> one of them. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh... Rocking chair, I feel like a rocking chair is right up there with a weighted blanket in terms of like, you know, you need comfort, like that's comfort mm -hmm. right there. Exactly. And I don't know, I, I think that it's, I mean, it goes back to the, the, the feeling of care that we get as a newborn. Mm -hmm. We get, we get rocked as a, as a newborn and then as a child or just not gonna lie. One of the things that Leslie loves, it's whenever I just have them in my arms and then just kind of rock a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's so, I don't know, primal, so, mm -hmm. so cozy. Yeah. Yeah. Nowhere else but Tales from the Trunk will you go from uh, a void in a trench coat to the absolute comfort of being rocked in somebody's arms <laughs> best podcast on the internet we got range we got range <laughs> we've got range like nobody's business um so i i just heard this weird noise in in the room the podcast room and and this blue police box uh all cops are bastards of course but this blue police <laughs> box just showed up uh, and I'm wondering if we can, at this moment, take a step into this time machine and go back if there is anything that 
you'd really like to offer to young writer Hector? Oh, man. One thing that I would like to tell to young Hector, I would tell him to just keep feeling. There was a moment during my 20s Mm-hmm. when I completely shielded myself of emotions. And I was on my fully capitalist bullshit. And mm-hmm. I had to re- learn the hard way, especially with the dot-com bubble and everything, uh, how, well, how at one moment uh, everything can come down. And I touched a little, a little bit about that. One of the first... I would say the, the first essay that got published in the United States was thanks to Sarah Gailey's personal canons series. Mm-hmm. And I spoke about one of my favorite books, Momo. And not, mm-hmm. the Momo Ch- not the Momo Challenge. That has nothing to do with that. Momo is a book by the German author Michael Ende. Or Ende. Mm-hmm. He, he also wrote The Neverending Story. But Momo, if you can... I'd want to put into a simple concept. It's an anti-capitalist, an anti-hustle book that it's a children's fable that all adults should read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, I remember that and I was like, oh, I should read that. And I added it to my reading list and I have not read it yet. But uh, listeners, if you need more convincing than that uh link will be in the show notes to that wonderful essay uh, and also to uh bookshop or indie bound where you can go and purchase that book for um, for your very own self from not amazon.com i mean if you want to do the real momo challenge read that book and i'm happy to just chat with you about that everything that you find about it mm-hmm. i mean it's been my favorite for years, and I keep buying copies and losing those copies whenever I need to give them to someone. Well, as a loan, but mm-hmm. in Mexico, we have a saying that uh, it's not exactly a kind saying, but it's, <laughs> es un tonto el que presta un libro y más tonto el que lo regresa. It's a fool whoever lends a book, and it's a bigger fool whoever returns it. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't think it should be seen like that. I mean, it's very capitalistic. It's very property based kind of thing. But I would like to think that if I would like to change that saying for something kinder and more creating community, mm-hmm. it's a friend whoever lends you a book, and it's an even bigger friend, someone who gives this to another person. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, my 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 dad maintains a library of uh, lending copies of his favorite books, and mm-hmm. whenever he sees a copy going cheap, of uh, you know, it, he'll have lending copies of his favorite Terry Pratchett books, and he has he always has a lending copy of Le Guin's The Dispossessed, and he'll just. You know, if you need this book, if he judges that you need this book in your life, you 100% are going to receive it. Man, now I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and we we uh we don't have a little free library ourselves mm-hmm. but i definitely um one of one of my neighbors is another uh another fan and her uh little free library is always chock full of you know the sort of books that i'm like oh yeah yeah you need to read that uh i think last time i stopped by there were copies of uh sarah Gailey's river of teeth and taste of marrow oh that's awesome um and so i always know like oh if i need to if i need to offload i have an extra copy of something or an extra extra copy of something that's where it's going to go to yeah i i kind of want to do the little library but at the same time i i have a lot of projects uh the problem with my adhd is that if i don't manage myself to say only for projects per quarters otherwise Mm-hmm. I will have a mountain of things happening around me. And I live in the mountain and I decided I do not want to do that again. So maybe start of 2023, I can do a little library with some of the books that I just pretty much support a lot on Kickstarter or just from mm-hmm. other other authors. And then when I'm done, just kind of putting my recommendations and saying, hey, if you want to read this, please have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh I I feel you so hard on that uh having too many pots in the fire. Uh I and also going back to to the words of wisdom of uh of healing yourself like that's uh I'm I'm reading uh Dr. Devin Price's book unmasking autism right now and like the the theme uh and he he also wrote uh i think it's called the myth of laziness Mm. which uh uh i think both of them are extremely abuelite books (laughs) um but like unmasking autism is like every chapter contains a personal attack directed squarely at me specifically Mm. uh just in terms of like uh it's you know the the whole concept of of like masked autism is like autistic people neurodiverse people have to learn to put these masks on to function in neurotypical society and mm-hmm. uh the the core premise of the book is your autism, your neurodiversity is good, actually, and the world would be so much richer for you to be able to unmask. Exactly. It's... I... Hear me out. I I had a conversation earlier today about trees mm-hmm. and how each kind of person can be like a different kind of tree and we connect on different kind of ways in the complex canopies of each person and the each and each foliage and mm. that's wonderful because a monoculture of trees i mean it happens but it's not always the the best solution you need to have this diversity these different elements that potentially can feed each other and connect in different ways mm-hmm. not on, not only through the roots but to the trees um, um fungal ways i mean 
we are so surrounded by these kind of analogies that are just in our face telling us, hey, have you considered doing this? Mm-hmm. Like everything that it is over here. Have you considered following our example? No? Okay, we'll continue doing it until you figure it out. <laughs> hmm Yeah. There's so many good books and so many good ideas and so many good people to talk to in the world. That's one of the things that I just love about stories. They open the door to another person's imagination and telling you, hey, let me share with you something that I feel strongly about. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I want to share something that I feel especially very, very happy because... I was, uh, because I knew that I was receiving the latest We Are Here, the best queer speculative fiction of 2021 by Neon Hemlock. Mm-hmm. I started reading the one for 2020. And one of the things that is very touching in there is how Charles, the main editor, the serious editor, he's a little bit sad that he cannot include the story, one of his favorite stories from C.L. Uh, CL Clark. Mm-hmm. And what is the first story of this one? The Captain and the Quartermaster by C.L. Clark. And I'm so happy that this managed to happen because I think it's a fantastic story. It's a beautiful way that initially, uh, well, he wasn't able to include that on the, on the previous uh, iteration because C.L. was one of the editors, was the guest editor of the issue. Mm-hmm. So once C was doing anything else, something else, well, the, the, go. the captain and the quartermaster got invited into the ship. <laughs> Those so anthologies happy. are also just absolutely incredible. Yeah, and it also is this kind of beautiful work that Charles does, especially each month, trying to find out, okay, who has written about queer queer stories? Mm-hmm. I want to I want to read them. I want to at one moment if possible include this into this compendium that I do year after year because I think that the important thing about stories besides writing them it's also listen to them and sharing them with others that at one moment may also fall in love with them. And mm-hmm. that's one of the important things that, I mean, sometimes some people find their, their own career paths. They, they find their own ways to dream the life that they want, inspiring mm-hmm. a story that says, oh, I want this kind of happiness. How can I have this kind of happiness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's... To, to bring it back to the... Uh, the intimacy of both of your Void Junk stories, I don't think there's anything more intimate in a lot of ways than sharing a story that's meant something to you with another person like whether that is you know 
whether it's something that's especially touching that tugs at your heartstrings or whether it's something that like was extremely scary and you want to you know share that with somebody else like you know that that's giving somebody a piece of your heart in a really a really important way and especially when we think about what you mentioned scary stories it's a way to show your vulnerability your what what are the kind of things that you fear um mm -hmm. sharing something that it is so intimate can be hard for many people but in many cases it's also like a test it's a way to steal ourselves mm -hmm. against that kind of fear and being very uh, very transparent one of the biggest fears that i had for a long time it was scorpions just mm -hmm. being Fair. stung stung back by them i got stung by one of them on my last day well at at the job site mm -hmm. and thankfully i didn't panic but at the same time when i found it i'm sure that i just slammed it with my boot so much <sighs> that i left a crater where the poor little thing was uh-huh but that experience made me also see that I mean, it got, I got stung by it. It was painful, but at the same time, it was not as fatal as I initially imagined it. And mm -hmm. sometimes reading some scary stories, it's facing that fear in a controlled way and a way that we can also steal ourselves against that, that situation that could be imaginary or can be real. I mean... Uh, I doubt that I'll be chased by somebody with a uh, with a chainsaw. Mm -hmm. But still, it's something that that kind of trepidation, that, that kind of feeling, it's also interesting to explore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So in the spirit of uh, sharing things that are meaningful uh have there been any books movies tv shows video games anything uh that you've been consuming lately that you're just so pumped up about and want to let other people know about okay so i think that like many other people uh i've been so here's a problem that i have and I'm prefacing this mostly to give an idea. As much as I love reading, mm -hmm. my ADHD makes it very, very hard because I sometimes have so much trouble visualizing things. And it could mm -hmm. be both in English and Spanish. And I hate that. I hate that I have that kind of problem. So the best way that I can fight it or just the best way that I can medicate myself, let's put it that way, mm -hmm. it's creating small goals. I tell myself, okay, finish this page and you have a treat. Mm -hmm. And it's the carrot and stick, but uh, not too much stick and a lot of more carrots. And I keep reading and reading. So a lot of friends, especially that I, that I respect a lot, started just telling me so much because they got advanced copies of Babel by R.F. Quine. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, 
Let's try to get it. I managed to get a loan from the library. I didn't touch it at all. I expired and I decided, okay, well, let's let's try it again. Let's try it mm -hmm. again. I started reading. I did not need any kind of treats. I did not need any kind of carrots. Mm -hmm. RF, I want to cook for you a, a, a meal. And I do not want to talk about writing. I just want to chat with you because I am so impacted by this book that I do not have any other words. I won't spoil this to anyone. I just want to tell you that it made somebody that had trouble reading get completely enraptured by it. That's oh. the only thing that I have to say. And again, if RF, uh, RF is listening to this, uh, I'm ready to cook for you any day of the week, just say. Well, just give me a heads up. Let me, yeah. And also, tell me dietary restrictions, exceptions. I don't want to cook something that you wouldn't like, of course. Yeah. But yeah, that's something that, that would be on the on that part. On video games, and I got, I think it's called Super Liminal in mm -hmm. the Switch, and it's uh, I would say it's similar to Portal on the part of you are somehow a test subject. Mm -hmm. And then reality is completely bent around you. And I love that kind of settings because mm -hmm. there is also the part that this kind of solitude going all around you and anything that is a little bit surprising and everything, it's just like, oh my God, what's happening? Mm -hmm. I just love that kind of, uh, of game development that that really tests your perceptions on a mm -hmm. way that, I mean, it's just a screen. It's a game, but at the same time, oh my God, I have jumped so many times about things that I think that is happening. Like, no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> I'm just enjoying that kind of thing. <laughs> let's see. I, mm, let's see, what else? So just because I, I'm just kind of mapping a little bit uh, the growth of someone. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of of a weird situation. I've been just rewatching Key and Peel, the mm -hmm. series, mostly because what uh, what happened on Nope on that movie. I used love so much the kind of different kind of threads that went in there, and at the same time the elements that got unanswered. Mm -hmm. Some things that I just love that from the point of view that what was the meaning of this, and maybe. You will never get a meaning. And I love that whenever a creator managed to do that because mm -hmm. not everything needs to be fully explained. I mean, Chekhov wanted every gun to be fired, but you do not know about all the other elements that were left in there. There is so much that at one moment you can say or inspire just by not answering. And I, I have to admire that. And to me, it's just seeing how the sketches from Key and Peele continue evolving and the kind of artistry that they have to meld their different kind of personalities that they have, the different kind of energies that they manage to match mm -hmm. and create these kind of stories and all that. And one of the things that Dave Chappelle at one moment kind of just a very snide comment. He said, 
that he and Bill were doing what he was doing with his show uh, when and I said no not at all you mm -hmm. at one moment decided to take a different path they are doing something completely unique and you do not need to 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 have these kind of comments I felt that it was very poor choice of words but mm -hmm. I think that they are two different completely different concepts and for one thing, I Key and Peele aren't being transphobic. Exactly. Just to start. And not a complete douche right now. Well, mm -hmm. what can I say? I I keep thinking that when Dave Chappelle decided to host SNL exactly the weekend when uh, after Trump got elected, it told so much about him. But the, the part that he told us who he was, it was he did a bit that, well, your life gets gentrified he makes a joke that there are only four seats on a balloon for uh, to go up and he needs to say goodbye to his friends mm -hmm. that was him telling everyone like well guess what i'm rich i'm with the people on the balloon now and tada yeah that yeah. was that was quite something <laughs> when when people tell you who they are you listen to them completely Okay, this went through a very weird, <laughs> weird <laughs> situation. But yeah, it's. I admire comedians when they manage to create this kind of great narratives mm -hmm. and it's great world building. And then you make something absurd. It's, it's something that I enjoy so much. It, I mean,. I respect anyone who comes up on the spot with some funny quip that is just like, okay, you made me laugh. Mm -hmm. I love you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just thinking about like the, the range that Key and Peele have, have achieved over, uh, you know, just over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. is and incredible. And each of them doing their projects, having different kind of adventures. And I I still want to watch a reboot because I know that the kind of dynamics that we'll be seeing there and everything. Uh, he has such a fantastic uh, ability for body comedy that mm -hmm. I just love it. And if somebody at one moment could be like... The, doing this kind of physical comedy all out, bringing it back, it's him. Just, yeah. just love that kind of, of ability. I, if he decided to, at one moment, do things like Buster Keaton that, uh, or, or similars, I'm game. I would watch that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, Hector, it's been just an unspeakable delight to have you Thank on you. the show. The pleasure has been all mine. I just love to, I mean, I, it just feels more than anything like it's just a conversation. And, oh, man, I just love chatting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, one way to make friends, have a podcast. <laughs> I'll need uh, to do that sometime. <laughs> I would listen to that podcast endlessly.
Thank you. Well, absolutely. Leslie and I, we have a deep love for Paul Rudd. So we kind of want to watch all Paul Rudd's movies mm-hmm. one by one and then just doing our critiques, saying what we think about it and all that. And I think that the joke will be every time that, hey, Paul Rudd, if you come to the podcast after after you come in, that will be the last one that we'll be ever doing. <laughs> I'd listen to that. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Again, lots of projects. Mm-hmm. I don't want the mountain. I know. I know myself. <laughs> yep. For sure. <laughs> well, again, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. And, well, thank you in general for everyone who's listening. If you want to do, listen to more about or just get to know the kind of ridiculous things that I'm doing, uh, you can find me. I'm on two social medias mainly, Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me on their Mexicanity, like Mexican.iti, I-T-Y. It's highly recommended that you follow Hector everywhere that you can, uh, which right now, Twitter and Insta, uh, your like I said at the top of the show, your Twitter is always a delight. Thank you. Uh, and uh, there may be an announcement soon. I cannot say anything, but there is an announcement of something happening soon. Oh, be, excellent. Possibly when this comes out, it will be already known, but there will be an announcement soon. Uh, listeners, watch that space. And listeners, tune in next month when my guests will be Jordan Corella and R.J. Theodore. Yeah. Both fantastic. Both fantastic. Both uh, longtime friends of the show, and I'm so excited to be having them back. Awesome. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisnyx. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. (laughs) 